You are listening right now because you get the show. So many of you walked through fire to get to this point because this show is not easy to get. Many of you wanted to walk away after hearing the first five minutes of the first Underworld pod where you pressed play. Who the hell is this guy? And why isn't he talking about fantasy football? Hit the stop button. And then your friend begs you to keep listening. Give it one more try. Next thing you know, you're on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather. You're contributing to the show. You're retweeting the podfather on Twitter. You're in. You get it. But that is a story told by so many in this audience, and I love it. I love that we are an acquired taste. I don't want to be normal. Normal isn't interesting. Different is interesting. But different isn't an easy listen. The first try. Think about the songs you've heard that have changed your life. Were they toe tappers the first time around? Unlikely. And this show isn't a toe tapper show. This is heavy metal with complex arrangements. But once you hear it for what it is, you can't stop listening. This from M. Evans X4 on iTunes. A five-star review, he writes, I completely understand why someone would have a strong reaction to this show. It's completely different than most fantasy football podcasts. When I first started listening, I felt the same way. What's taking so long? Let's get to the analysis. Who is this jerk? And why is he eviscerating this poor Twitter troll? Wow, this guy sure likes patting himself on the back. End quote. But if you listen long enough, you get to be in on the joke. It's a themed comedy act with actual fantasy football analysis mixed in. You know what it's like when someone tries to heckle a comedian at a club and then that comedian reduces them to tears? That happens sometimes. And everyone else laughs at the idiot who tried to be part of the show and didn't know his place. Or when they make some outrageous or inappropriate comment about themselves or someone else. That's what happens when you're listening to a comic at a club and you don't take it seriously because it's part of the act. Now when I listen, I have to be careful of my setting because I get caught off guard and I start laughing out loud and it's embarrassing. This podcast is embarrassing in all the best ways. If you can appreciate it for what it is and not hate it for what it isn't, you'll grow to appreciate the show. If you just need to know your waiver options and you only have 15 minutes, this show is not for you. Enjoy. How about that? How about that? How about it from a listener with the iTunes username, Mike Evans, right? Who knew? What a pleasant surprise that Mike Evans listens to the show and that he would actually enjoy it after I called him a compiler on a perpetual loop for three years. Disregard and dismiss his accomplishments, propping up his teammate, diminishing his body of work. And yet, somehow, some way, he's come to love the show. Even Mike Evans can't get enough Underworld Pod. Now, that is a testimonial I can believe in. And yes, I know, we are many minutes into a fantasy football podcast prior to a critical week six with zero analysis. <laughs> All of you that don't get the show, bye bye You'll be back.
Oh, they always come back. Because eventually they realize, as you have realized, if you're still listening, that I don't do this show for them. I don't do a show I think people want to hear. I do the show I want to do with the self-confidence that what I do is good and worth listening to. It's only from that place, that truly outstanding radio, from a truly self-assured host can emanate. And I also use this platform to give voice to analysts you may not have heard from yet. Most recently, Hassan Rahim, and this week, my good friend Peter Howard, the mind behind our world-famous draft kit cheat sheet and the weekly projections on playerprofiler.com forward slash player rankings. He has the most sophisticated yet elegant projection process in the business. It's not too complicated, but it ain't simple either. It's kind of like how I approach Monkey Knife Fight. And congratulations to all of you who won a share of the Monkey Knife Fight bonus prize pool because all three of your selections scored touchdowns in week five. Leonard Fournette, touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, multiple touchdowns. And DJ Jark scored again. He kicked off the season with a long touchdown, and he hasn't stopped. 24 fantasy points in week one, then 18, 17, 8, and then 36. The slightest buy window after week four. Chark had yet to command 10 targets in a game. He had yet to score multiple touchdowns in a game. And that all changed in week five against Ross Cockrell. Ran a season-high 39 routes, 11 targets, two in the red zone, and two touchdowns. Go put DJ Chark's sophomore season up against any other sophomore breakout in the history of the NFL. I challenge you to find a more impressive sophomore breakout. He's only 23 years old because he came into the NFL as a young developmental wide receiver from LSU, the quintessential run-first college offense. He accounted for the lion's share of the targets and the receiving yards in his final year at LSU, but he was not a prolific producer because his team didn't pass the ball. If they don't throw it, he can't catch it. Now, I've said it multiple times on this show the last few weeks. It remains my greatest error. Holding DJ Chark's lack of counting stats at the college level against him is the reason why we have metrics like Dominator rating, and I failed to fully synthesize his collegiate performances in a way that would identify him as a breakout candidate. But fortunately, we have analysts like John Paulson who come on the show and talk about players that are not on my radar. I ask open-ended questions so that a John Paulson can surface a talent like DJ Chark. I can't believe there are fantasy shows that don't have guests. Like You are doing your audience a disservice if you're only building off your own internal echo chamber. If it's only you and another guy, you'll never be exposed to analysis that is outside your purview, that is just beyond your horizon. So we're grateful to John Paulson for bringing DJ Chark to our attention. It's all right there. Guy stands 6'3 and runs a 4'3", 440 with a 132.5 93rd percentile burst score. And oh, has he been efficient this season. Number one in deep targets. Top five in total target distance. And yet, his true catch rate, his ability to squeeze the football 
on any given catchable target, 90%. That's top 20 in the league. That's why his yards per target is top five. DJ Chark has the number one production premium on player profiler. We now have five weeks of metrics to analyze. That's a significant sample. And production premium looks at what a wide receiver is producing on a per-target basis from any given down and distance on the football field compared to league average. So if all DJ Chark's targets were coming inside the five-yard line, we would discount that because we're only comparing his per-target production to other wide receivers getting targets inside the five-yard line. He scored a touchdown from the 50. How much better is that than most targets that wide receivers receive from the 50-yard line? If you're number one in deep targets, you're a favorite to lead the NFL in production premium. But the problem is, with so many field stretchers, they can't make plays consistently down the field. That's where most players fail. We talked about Mike Evans earlier. There's a reason why his catch rate has been below league average for so many consecutive seasons because he's being targeted down the field. And those are a higher degree of difficulty catches. But somehow, some way, <laughs> DJ Chark is converting even those targets. If you're top 20 in true catch rate and number one in deep targets, top five in total target distance, you're special. And that's also why we have athleticism metrics on playerprofiler.com. So you can look under the hood and go, oh, oh, I see how DJ Chark's doing this. He's playing above the defense. Look at his stature juxtaposed with his athleticism. It all clicks into place. That's why I've been insisting you buy high on DJ Chark in Dynasty. Whatever you've paid for DJ Chark this season, anyone that's traded for him, you got him at a discount. Every week that goes by... That league mate who unloaded him feels worse and worse and worse. They thought, oh, he was a late round pick in a startup. Time to cash in my chips. <laughs> Talk about Chris Godwin being efficient in the face of huge volume. DJ Chark being efficient in the face of deep outside targets is another path to the highest echelon of NFL wide receiver. Chris Godwin's doing it the way... Tory Holt and Roddy White did it. DJ Chark's doing it the way AJ Green did it. They both work. They both score copious amounts of fantasy points. We'll talk to Peter Howard about DJ Chark. I'm excited to do it. But before I do, you need my monkey knife fight recommendation. I can't promise all three of these players are going to score touchdowns like last week, but your best odds for scoring touchdowns come from bell cow running backs, come from running backs like Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey last week. Not as many options in the games this week, and I have a hybrid approach. Most weeks, the wide receiver or tight end that you select in addition to the two running backs doesn't score. We happen to be fortunate that DJ Chark scored twice, but this week we have a rare opportunity to play three running backs, all with a good chance of scoring a touchdown. One of the few weeks we can do this. Which team Leads the NFL in fantasy points scored by running backs. It's the San Francisco 49ers, and it's not close. 36.4 fantasy points per game scored by 49ers running backs. That's 6.4 points more than the Carolina Panthers, which is essentially Christian McCaffrey. Almost 100 yards more accumulated on the ground in San Francisco than in Carolina. 49ers are scoring more than one rushing touchdown per game. And the beauty is, on Monkey Knife Fight, you have to play... 
two players from one of the teams. So why not just play Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman, who both scored touchdowns last week? All you need is two touchdowns on Monkey Knife Fight to win a touchdown dance. Just need a touchdown from Coleman and a touchdown from Breida. You want to add a third player? How about the player who led the NFL in touchdowns last season and is currently top five this season, who plays for a team that likes to throw the ball between the 20s and run the ball in the red zone? You know which team that is? The Los Angeles Rams, who happen to play the San Francisco 49ers in week six. And you get to play the touchdown scoring machine that is Todd Gurley paired with the backfield for the team that scores the most running back fantasy points. Tell me that's not a winning tactic on Monkey Knife Fight this week. Tell me! At Fantasy underscore Mansion on Twitter. Tell me if you disagree. I won't pay attention. I only pay attention if you tell me on Patreon. Either way, let me know. And yes, buzzards, I know Todd Gurley is dealing with a quad injury. Thank you very much. You can always assume that I have all the relevant football news before you do. So instead of going to Twitter to inform me of something that, of course, I already know, you can use your own little brain and just play Malcolm Brown instead of Todd Gurley if Todd Gurley is inactive. Now, it's time to talk to Peter Howard, one of the smartest dudes in the business. Follow him at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. The man. Oh, he is the man. He is the man with the master plan, the master rankings, the master projections, the master cheat sheet. This is Peter Howard from Player Profiler. Peter Howard. Talk to me. Hey, man. How you doing? <laughs> oh, no. You're not excited. You're not excited. I'm never excited, man. You're not. It's just not how you roll. <laughs> right. Well, you better get excited because this is an emergency podcast. We had a guest drop out with a health issue at the last minute. Peter's show was moved up multiple weeks. We both have a limited time window in order to record this show. Numerous personal commitments swirling around us. This will be the first all-rapid-fire show in the history of Roto Underworld Radio. Are you ready, Peter? I'm ready, I think. I'm just not sure you're the right guy for the all-rapid-fire show. When I look at you in the monitor, <laughs> I do not see Mr. Rapid-Fire. Okay. That's not what I'm getting from you. Uh, I, I, t I take that as a compliment because I've got no other way to take it, I guess. No, it is a compliment. You're a chill guy. You don't want to be Mr. Rapid-Fire. Mr. Rapid-Fire is not that cool. You're much cooler than Mr. Rapid Fire. I'll take I talked about this last week with Hassan Rahim. You and I are also in a fantasy league together. Oh, God, yeah, but I stink in that league, man. Stink out loud. I am trying to win that league for the first time. I can't quite get there. I keep making the playoffs and flaming out. I am set to make the playoffs again this year, partly because I have... Alvin Kamara, and Marlon Mack. As long as you have two proper bell cows putting up 100 yards every week or commanding eight-plus targets a week, 
These guys are going to lead the way. I just also happen to have Chris Godwin in that league. So I'm being carried by just a handful of players. Hopefully, hopefully we can get some boom weeks from Travis Kelsey. Hopefully some more boom weeks are coming from Stephon Diggs. Because I need him, baby. I need him. Got Darius Geis on the IR. Even if he comes back, oh well. He's on Washington without Trent Williams and with a rookie quarterback. That's not exciting, is it? Not re- not really, no, man. <laughs> anything else? you have anything else besides that? I mean, you've seen my team. Do you think it's a contender? It's a contender. It's a really rough year, um, especially for running backs, uh, kind of as we expected, man. You have Aaron Jones. Do you believe in Aaron Jones long term? I do as a player, but I'm almost tired of saying that guy's going to take over the backfield. Um, Jamal Williams was out, and so he got the role, and every time he gets the role, he's fantastic with it. But at some point, you just got to believe a team is determined not to use not to use their best player, right? What about the point where the player convinces the team finally beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's the guy, and didn't he do that last week over 100 yards and four touchdowns? Yeah, but didn't he do it in week two? And hasn't he done it for as long as he's been on the team? He was also the target leader. So in this touch void left by Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones walked into that void and won the game. He was the team MVP against the Dallas Cowboys going on the road to Dallas and winning by 10. Yeah, I just think, especially with running back, usage is more given. Coaches like the smell of their own farts, and they like to decide how those touches are going to be divided up, and very little dissuades them off it. Like wide receiver, like an Adam Thielen, for example, coaches don't want an undrafted free agent to become their best wide receiver, but they're able to make them sit down and shut up because you can't really ignore it at wide receiver. But at running back, coaches continually bench their best players for you know stupid things like fumbling or they don't have the draft capital or. You know, nonsense, basically. But it, I hope he does. Like, uh, like I've got him on my team in that uh, that league, like you say. Um, I can't use him. I don't know why anyone doesn't want him in that league. I, I want him. I want. I want to trade for him. I need a third running back. <laughs> do you want to do a trade on air? I have no QBs left in that league, so I'm 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 done. You have no QBs. I have an extra QB. I have Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. Don't you like quarterbacks? You like quarterbacks. It's a 2QB league. I take a quarterback, yeah. I don't like Luke Falk, who's currently a QB3, and now is no longer a QB because Sam Donald's come back. <laughs> oh, you have Cam Newton and Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So of those two, Cam and Trubisky, who are you punting? Oh, you mean who would I rather get rid of? Trubisky, pretty easily. You don't want Trubisky? I want Trubisky. But I'd trade Trubisky, if that makes sense. You'd trade Trubisky and Aaron Jones for someone like, oh, I don't know, Dak Prescott? I'm not sure of the viability, long-term viability of Chase Daniels. So Trubisky's going to be back, um, but his value's in the tank. Trubisky is going to be back. His value is in the tank. But he had a quality fantasy season last year. He was the number 12 fantasy quarterback. So he was technically a QB1. He was in that QB1 zone you know i'm not going to give up kyler murray you know that's not going to happen right <laughs> who would right no one would no one would give up kyler murray and russell wilson has two 40 point games already on his 2019 resume i think he's the best quarterback in the sport i think he's better than patrick mahomes when you look at 
his complete skill set versus Patrick Mahomes when you add the mobility. I think he's better. I've got him as a quarterback too in fantasy and also as uh, just a player. I, I think Patrick Mahomes is just kind of a different thing altogether, but yeah, I really like Russell Wilson. Have you seen some of the throws that Russell Wilson makes? I know that there's been a number of wow factor gifs and highlight videos for Patrick Mahomes posted where he makes these impossible throws, sidearm, yeah. between a guy's arms. They're pretty special. Up and over a guy on some parabola that you can't even get your head around. Like I get it. I've seen him. But I also have seen Russell Wilson make some of the most mind-bending throws as well, where he's moving backwards 40 yards, and he throws the ball straight up into the air, and it flutters softly into a tight end's hands for a touchdown. Like, I've seen that too. Well, it's like last season where you just badgered me and badgered me to move Russell Wilson up the rankings even though he wasn't going to pass the ball enough, and I kept fighting it, and you kept making me push him up, and then after week one, you just sent me a message like, you're welcome. <laughs> That's right. Well, that was this summer, right? This was this past off season where we didn't have Russell Wilson high enough on the cheat sheet because of the implied volume, and my concern was that we were basing our projection too much on Russell Wilson's 2018 pass attempts and there were reasons to believe that that was going to change well it didn't change that much it's more that Russell Wilson's default is god mode I thought there was something below that for him like somewhere near human and apparently there isn't he's just always super efficient and it really doesn't matter so oh well he's on pace to crush his 2018 pass attempts by a hundred that's a big deal but you add the God mode to the volume, and that's why he's the number one quarterback in fantasy. Right now, Patrick Mahomes is the number three quarterback in fantasy. It's not even Russell Wilson, then Patrick Mahomes. It's Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, wow. And Russell Wilson, at age 30, he's about to turn 31, has many, many, many more years left. So if it's between Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, age is not a factor in Dynasty when you're talking about 30-year-old quarterbacks versus 26-year-old quarterbacks. Only once a quarterback turns 34 and suddenly the clock is ticking, they have three, four, five years left, at that point, age becomes a factor when you're calculating a player's lifetime value. But not 30. And Russell Wilson is also so efficient as a thrower that even once the mobility leaves him and he's 35 and he becomes a pocket passer, he'll just be Drew Brees and that'll be fine. Because he'll outlast Pete Carroll, he'll outlast Brian Schottenheimer, he'll outlast everyone. Even rookies like DK Metcalf will be gone, and Russell Wilson will still be the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. But this conversation also illuminates a challenge with season-long projections, in that a single input factor is disproportionately driving all projections. It's like when Mike Clay posts his projections. Really, he's just guessing on how many touches and how many pass attempts players are going to get. It's an educated guess, but that's what it is. It's an educated guess. And all you have to do is tweak those assumptions, and the projection can shift dramatically. And that's all we did with Russell Wilson. I said, hey, we got to tweak the pass attempts based on a couple factors. The schedule this year, Russell Wilson projects to be in a lot more shootouts this year than last year, and... The defense projects to be worse. So if they'll be facing more high-scoring offenses, offenses that play at a faster pace, and their defense is not as stout, 
then that will necessarily force Russell Wilson into more passing situations. And so we should bump his attempts up more than just using his history tethered to some mean, perhaps be a little more aggressive with the volume projection, assume that he's always going to be the most efficient quarterback in the league as he's been the last five years, as you put it, God mode, and then suddenly Russell Wilson becomes a top five quarterback in the projections, and those projections turned out to be prescient because we had Russell Wilson projected higher than consensus, much higher than some analysts who thought Russell Wilson should be ranked outside the top 10 among fantasy quarterbacks. And we ended up being right, but we weren't aggressive enough. It's like Chris Godwin. Just being the most aggressive on a player like Chris Godwin isn't good enough. It wasn't good enough just being the most aggressive with a Russell Wilson because Chris Godwin is now the number one wide receiver in fantasy. And Russell Wilson is the number one quarterback in fantasy. But you know what, Peter? I think we can feel pretty good that we had them projected higher than anybody else, even if we couldn't quite get to a place where we were saying, hey, this is a top five player at his position. I think we did just fine. Yeah, I prefer to look at it through position rank. I see a lot of um, accuracy is usually judged by uh, like a points per game basis. But honestly, we kind of lie about that. Like everyone who projected uh, Will Fuller last week should be taking a major L if we're looking at points per game. But as long as you are over 20 or over 15, they consider it a win. But if if you're 30 points below what he actually scored, then you were just as far away from anyone else but position rank being higher on a player overall is the best way to see it that's right that's right yeah we we (laughs) fucked up our will fuller projection that's right that will fuller projection which led him to be included in so many of our optimal lineups in both cash and tournaments we actually fucked that up because we weren't nearly high enough right Uh, but in terms of position rank we were that's why he ended up in all those lineups uh, along with uh, calvin ridley Bingo, 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 bingo. And Chris Godwin is doing great. We could check in with Chris Godwin. He's the number one receiver in fantasy, and it's it's time to dance. That's what we did on the last show, the First Mover podcast. I know many of you were anticipating a Chris Godwin dance party today. You missed it. you got to listen to all the shows. You can't just listen to the Mind of Mansion show because I have all these great guests like Peter Howard on. You need to go listen to the solo shows, the monologue shows, like the first mover that drops on Monday, that's when we had the dance party when the Chris Godwin performance, which made him the number one wide receiver in fantasy, was at its freshest. That's when we were partying the hardest. So Chris Godwin's doing great. How's Teddy Bridgewater doing? He's doing pretty good for what people expected of him, at least. He's still the same player. He throws it close to the line of scrimmage, but he does well doing that. And uh, Alvin Kamara is sucking up the volume with it. And Michael Thomas is one of the best yards after the catch wide receivers. So if your wide receivers look like Chris Godwin and Juju Smith-Schuster and Michael Thomas, then a Teddy Bridgewater is going to thrive if he can dump it off to Kamara and hit Michael Thomas eight yards downfield and he turns it into a 20-yard gain. If you pair a Teddy Bridgewater with a Mike Evans, he's not going to be as successful. But it just so happens that that offense is perfectly suited to Teddy Bridgewater's strength and I just happen to believe that Teddy Bridgewater is a good quarterback. Do you think Teddy Bridgewater is good? Yeah, I think he's very good at what he does. Yeah. You can be a game manager in quotes and be good, 
right? I think a lot of NFL teams would love to have a quarterback that puts up 250 yards, doesn't take sacks, doesn't give up turnovers. I think they would love that. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to have a starting job in the NFL next season. There'll be plenty of quarterback openings around the league. And he's the ideal stash in Dynasty. I wish I had him in our league. Then I'd have a real surplus of quarterbacks. But we need to think about doing a trade, you and me, involving Dak Prescott and Aaron Jones. We need to figure something out. Let's do it. Did you like Dak Prescott, right? He's doing pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't want to give Dak Prescott up this year unless apparently you do. He's doing great. Well, I would like Aaron Jones. Maybe I should pause before trading a Dak Prescott. Maybe I should consider breaking the glass that I consider unbreakable and put Kyler Murray on the block. Maybe I should trade Kyler Murray because I'd love to go to battle and gun for a championship this season in that league with Prescott and Wilson. Because those are the guys I'm starting every week. I'm not even starting Kyler Murray. So if he's not starting on a dynasty team that I'm trying to win a championship with, then I need to be open to trading him. Even if longer term, he has QB1 in fantasy written all over him. I mean, everywhere. It's like tattooed all over his body. QB1 in fantasy. So let's think about it. Let's think about doing a deal. Because I'm guessing Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, is not going to move the needle. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Keep those guys. No, exactly. Uh, how about Austin Hooper? How's he doing? Austin Hooper's top five tight end. He's doing great. Uh, I, Austin Hooper, for some reason, no one wants to accept it. Like uh, it happened before he broke out, during his breakout, and now he's still broken out, and uh, everyone kind of just ignores it. I don't know why. Have you seen this Austin Hooper profile on PlayerProfiler.com? It's super impressive. He was a dominant college producer. He has the size and the athletic profile of a top tight end in the league. He has incredible size-adjusted agility, first and foremost. For a 255-pound guy to post an 1132 agility score, that's a running back agility score. Guys that weigh 50 pounds less would be happy with that agility score. And you love agility from a tight end because they can get into these tight areas and they can slide left or right to give their quarterback a window to throw then he has a great catch radius he can bring that ball down there's nothing not to like on that austin hooper profile he's just solid across the board so you'd pick a player that's solid across the board at age 25 he's in his super prime you drop him onto that atlanta falcons offense and what do you think's gonna happen peter it's just for some reason he lacks sex appeal he didn't have the sex appeal of an O.J. Howard. And yet, there's no way O.J. Howard can equal Austin Hooper. Even if O.J. Howard outscores Austin Hooper from now until the end of the season, there's just no way he can surpass him. It's because everyone thinks tight end is just a different kind of wide receiver, and it's not. It's a different position. Uh, most of them break out two, year two and three, if you're lucky, really looking at age 26 and year four. That's how I ended up with a lot of Austin Hooper just before he broke out. Everyone gives up on them just before they're most likely to break out. And no one likes to admit they're wrong. (laughs) I think that's the Austin Hooper problem. He was also great last year. He was healthy. He was top seven in completed air yards, top five in receptions, top 10 in total target distance. He was top five in target separation. So he was getting downfield. He was creating separation. His true catch rate was 91%. That was top six in the NFL. His absolute catch rate, 
which doesn't factor in catchable target rate, was 80%. That's number one. So let me get this straight. He's getting downfield. He's creating separation with his lateral quickness. And then he's squeezing the football at a higher rate than any other tight end in the league at age 24. And then going into his age 25 season, his ADP in a tight end premium format like the FFPC was outside the top 90. That's an inefficiency. And we've talked about it for months. He's on my Scott Fishbowl roster. You can go check it out. I'm in the top 4% in the Scott Fishbowl. I'm in the top 100. And Peter, there are five guys from Roto Underworld in the top 40 in the Scott Fishbowl. What do you think of that? We have more Underworlders in the top 40 than any other sports media enterprise in the world. That's more than ESPN. That's more than Pro Football Focus. That's more than CBS. That's more than... Fantasy pros, more than football guys, you name the service, we have more guys in the top 40, the Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, I'd be there, but I went and messed up my foot. Well, I didn't mess up. I intentionally drafted David Johnson, 101 overall, which I shouldn't have. And I said at the time, you should take Christian McCaffrey, which our ranks would have done for us. Wait, 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 wait what? Well, you, you, you took David Johnson over Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, yeah, I took David Johnson over Christian McCaffrey. In the Scott Fishbowl, you know, it's a public league. Yeah, and I told everyone else to take Christian McCaffrey, okay? So I'm allowed to mess it up myself. You had Christian McCaffrey number one on our cheat sheet. I did. That was one of the reasons why I was crushing Saquon Barkley and mocking all those that were just closing their eyes and drafting Saquon Barkley at the 101. I said, wake up and consider the possibility that he's not the 101. Even though his ADP was 1.01.01, like every single league was selecting Barkley at the top. And I said, don't do that. It's Christian McCaffrey. And your cheat sheet gave me the confidence to do that. And then you went and selected David fucking Johnson. I have David Johnson in the Scott Fishbowl, but I was drafting in the middle of the first round. That's when he should go. My decision point was between David Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm very happy I went with David Johnson. Yeah, you know, that was the right move there. And I said it at the time, like I say, I, I'm okay getting it wrong just as long as I tell everyone else what's right. <laughs> I'm okay uh, just having fun. And So you just malfunction, man. You were tilting to start the draft. You're the 101 and you started off tilting. Now that was just more fun for me. It was just a lot more fun. It was a lot more fun to draft David Johnson for me and uh, that's why I did it. I, re- I just really like guy. You know what's fun for me is drafting Kyler Murray and David Johnson and Christian Kirk. All those Cardinals. It hasn't exactly worked out for Kyler Murray, but again, I'm in the top four percentile, so I think I'm okay. David Johnson's been great. David Johnson's been one of the best running backs in fantasy football, but he hasn't had the boom week that's shaken everyone to their core and forced them to look at David Johnson differently. Oh, no, he's just he's just a steady running back that's active in all phases. Just David Johnson doing David Johnson things. Nothing to see here. Oh, there's something to see here. Consistency at the running back position, consistent top 10 performances is a huge deal at running back. Well, he's the only other first round pick that worked out. That's why I liked him. Everyone else seemed risky and like they were about to underperform. And uh, Dalvin Cook was drafted later than that. Um, Christian McCaffrey's working out. David Johnson's a top 12 12 running back. And for some reason, everyone hates that. And I, I just don't get it. It's kind of why I like him. I also stacked Falcons in that league, so I have both Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Austin Hooper. That's why my team's so good. Why not stack offenses you know are going to score more points than are expected? 
And do you know who I got for 4% of my fab budget this week in the Scott Fish Bowl? No, I don't. Didn't see it. Byron Pringle, baby! <laughs> All right. Pringle me, baby! Pringle me! Are you excited about Byron Pringle? Yeah, I was, man. I was mentioning him this offseason. He was on the Chiefs earlier in the year, and then they dropped him again. It's been it's been a roller coaster. But I'm actually pretty excited about Byron Pringle. It's weird, man. Why don't they appreciate Byron Pringle? All he does is produce in preseason. Produce. Insert him into the lineup in the regular season. He is the receiving leader. Who had the more important Week 5 breakout for you? Byron Pringle or Auden Tate? Wasn't Tate's really interesting at a 30% market share of the targets at one point, but, you know, A.J. Green's coming back, and that's that's just going to be all she wrote. Are we sure? If you're the Bengals, aren't you trading A.J. Green? Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff the Bengals should do. He does no good to you on your team. He helps you win games which you don't want to win in a lost season, and he's 31 years old. What are you doing not trading A.J. Green? Why don't some fantasy teams trade for running backs when they're, when they're winning a season? I mean... Uh... Sometimes you just mess up, but you convince yourself that you know better than everyone else. And the Bengals do that a lot. Uh, Andy Dalton's a cautionary tale there. (laughs) I think Auden Tate's breakout is more noteworthy than Byron Pringle because I think Auden Tate also has a long-term future as the prototypical alpha receiver in that Bengals passing game to Tyler Boyd's Z. I love Tyler Boyd on the inside and... Auden Tate on the outside, I think that they complement each other incredibly well. Byron Pringle, he may put up a WR1 week this week. Byron Pringle can win you a week. That's why I wanted him in the Scott Fishbowl. I need to win. I'm 2-3. and three. Every week is a must-win week, so I need Byron Pringle in the context of that team and that format. But in Dynasty, oh, I want Auden Tate. Oh, yeah. Who's a better flex this week? Looking at our weekly rankings, would you go with John Hilleman or Chase Edmonds? Um, John Hilleman, pretty easily. And that's because John Hilleman's getting the carries. Yes, he's going to face negative game script. Yes, he's facing the best defense in the league. But he's the primary back. Chase Edmonds is, unless David Johnson sits, which we don't think he will, a complimentary back. And that is always the starting point, right? What's the opportunity share look like? Between Edmonds and Hilleman? Yeah. No one's excited for Hilleman to face the Patriots. It's more exciting to think about the possibility of Chase Edmonds getting additional snaps in the backfield as David Johnson plays more slot in what could be a shootout. But at the end of the day, Hilleman's a starting running back, and that should be your focus, right? Definitely. Um, John Hilleman played 64% of the snaps last week. Chase Edmonds was only at 35%. Chase Edmonds... Did have a few, a few more targets in Hilleman, but Hilleman's the one with the role. And it's it's what I was saying about Aaron Jones. Whoever the team's going to give volume to, that's who you want at running back. So it's Hilleman. Even though Aaron Jones broke fantasy football last week, Troy Carson still had 10 touches. Has Reggie Bonifon had 10 touches in any given game that Christian McCaffrey's played in? No! Because Christian McCaffrey is a proper bell cow. But those Troc Carson touches support your thesis that the Packers have not committed fully to Aaron Jones. They've committed to him 
86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 90, but they're stopping short of 100% committed to Aaron Jones. And that's why you should trade him to me in Dynasty. (laughs) Better week six streamer. Those that need wide receiver help. Darius Slayton, who has the role, or Josh Reynolds, who has the ability and the supporting cast. Slayton. Slayton because he has the starting role. Chase the target share with Darius Slayton. These are very similar players. They're svelte with wide catch radius. That's a known archetype at wide receiver in the NFL. The 6'3", 195-pound wide receiver. They look great in college. You get excited about what they can do in the NFL. And then inevitably they have a hard time getting off press coverage. And they go the way of Josh Doxson as a decoy X receiver. I think that's in Darius Slayton's future. I think that's Josh Reynolds' future. I think these are decoy X receivers. But in a week where there are no other receiving options in that New York passing game other than Golden Tate, you play Darius Slayton. Probably not going to be happy with it, but yeah, you do. Exactly. Better wide receiver stash, Jake Kumaro or Jacoby Myers? That's a good one. Um, I, I lean Myers. We've just seen more from him at this point. The team's better. So <laughs> I just take Myers on that. The team is better, and he was more productive in preseason. Even though he's younger, he's six years younger than Jake Kumaro, but we've actually seen more from Jacoby Myers at the NFL level than we've seen of Jake Kumaro. That's the right reason. <laughs> Bigger trade winner, Zay Jones or Robert Foster? Yeah, Matt Williams from the FS Statistics podcast asked this on Twitter, and I think, I know, any of them winners. Zay Jones got, like, the most inefficient receiver to exist at two different levels of football now. Um, Robert Foster, I think he was injured in the preseason. Just to back up what you're saying, in an air raid offense at East Carolina, Zay Jones posted 11.1 yards per reception, 8th percentile, despite 85th percentile burst. In 92nd percentile agility, he couldn't muster more than 11.1 yards per reception at East Carolina. How is that even possible? If you underperform your athleticism at the college level, it's a high bar for you to get back into the podfather's good graces. And Zay Jones has not done that. He's only been inefficient at the NFL level. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, despite the ability to levitate, he's unable to catch the ball, uh, literally. Like, he's got the lowest just catch rate alone. He has one of the lowest scores of an NFL receiver ever in any year. So, yeah, for some reason, despite all that athleticism, he just can't put it together, and I think that's going to keep being the problem. On 19 targets this year, his catch rate is 36.8%. Yeah, it's just really bad. (laughs) I know, it's Josh Allen is part of the problem. His catchable target rate has only been 63.2% because Josh Allen, but we knew his quarterback was going to be Josh Allen. It's a big upgrade to go from number three receiver in Buffalo to number two receiver in Oakland. You get a roll upgrade and a quarterback upgrade. I think it's a big upgrade for Zay Jones, but going from... No role to a complimentary outside field stretcher role for Robert Foster is an even bigger upgrade. Now we can see Robert Foster for who he is, and I believe who he is is what we saw last year, the guy that led the NFL in yards per reception. Freeing Robert Foster was one of the most important things that anyone could do this season. I love Robert Foster, man. Are you a believer? Yeah. 
Not really. I like uh, he mostly had a deep threat role. I think on the Bills that can certainly be valuable. Um, he wasn't much in college, and I hang on to my college profiles a little too long, to be honest. So I'm probably not the guy to ask. Well, he was injured frequently in college, and then when he wasn't injured, he was competing for targets with Amari Cooper. There are reasons to believe that Robert Foster was merely unlucky in college because he was a top recruit. Right. So, I give him the benefit of the doubt. For the price, right? Why not? Should we give him the benefit of the doubt that he is not going to hold out in 2020? Christian McCaffrey? Do you think he's going to hold out next season? Because I think he should. I think it's inevitable. I think running back should too, to be honest with you. I have no idea. I have no idea if he will or not. I hope he does. I hope he does. But you heard it here. Be careful drafting Christian McCaffrey next season because a holdout could be on the horizon. And then we'll be talking about the name I mentioned earlier, Reggie Bonafon. He's Bonafide. Can you believe this guy somehow flew under the radar this long? He wasn't going under the radar in like smart leagues. Like in the Scott Fishbowl, the, the backup, it's been two different guys, but the backup in Carolina, just because Christian McCaffrey's getting so much volume, like, there were people interested in whoever was behind him. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird to see the the blow up, I guess. It only happened once with the way Christian McCaffrey is being used. You just got to worry about injury with him at this point. Reggie Bonifon, 128.189th percentile burst score and a 70th percentile agility score. His best comparable player is Sierra Woods. Sierra Woods, a running back, I thought would make the leap in the NFL from Notre Dame. He was productive at Notre Dame, had a similar athletic profile to Reggie Bonafon, and Bonafon has that requisite size we're looking for. He's 212 pounds. If he came in 198, if he was this Darwin Thompson profile, I wouldn't be interested because I would know, hey, this guy does not have workhorse back in his range of outcomes. But at 212 pounds, if the team is already committed to him as McCaffrey's primary backup, the team loves him. And when he is getting carries, he's being productive. 85 rushing yards and only 7 carries. Think about that. He's averaging 12.1 yards per carry, Peter. No one's doing more with their touches than Reggie Bonifon right now. Let's free Reggie Bonifon! Free Reggie Bonifon! Free <laughs> Reggie Bonifon! No, don't free him. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Nothing can happen to Christian McCaffrey. I take that back. I don't want to put that evil on anyone. That's a terrible idea. The worst idea I've ever had in the history of the show. Keep Reggie Bonifon under wraps. Keep Reggie Bonifon hidden away. Make sure Reggie Bonifon is not free. It's less catchy. It, it, that's not catchy at all, and I feel bad. We should love all these players equally and want them to have opportunity to excel in their profession. But I'm still stashing him in every league. I love stashing primary backs like Reggie Bonifon that no one knows on the taxi squad. And then when something happens and there's this rush to the waiver wire and you can feel and see and hear your league mates typing in the player's name. <laughs> and then he gets pulled up, owned. And then you see the team owned by the Podfather. <laughs> Well, Kyle Allen, is he for real? Kyle Allen? Um, he, he's doing a lot better than I thought he would have done. I'm actually pretty impressed with him. 
Um, but I got to believe Cam Newton's coming back. Man. I think he is, but I saw a film grinder on Twitter breaking down Kyle Allen's missed throws, second-guessing all his missed throws, looking at the All-22 tape, criticizing these throws, saying, oh, Kyle Allen threw it to DJ Moore here, but actually Christian McCaffrey was more open. Oh, he threw it incomplete to Greg Olson in traffic when he had Curtis Samuel open down the sideline. Do you find that maddening, the second-guessing by the armchair scouts, as if every quarterback doesn't have missed throws in every game? Yeah, I, I think people are likely to be a little more negative when they're looking for it, if you know what I mean. I, I think we're... But some people are better at it, man. I know guys who are good at keeping their bias out of it, but especially on Twitter, you'll see an awful lot of people finding what they expect to find when they're watching, quite literally. You know who doesn't do that? Former NFL quarterbacks, guys like Dan Olarski. You won't see them putting out a hit thread on Twitter, taking down a fellow quarterback, pointing out all the throws that they didn't complete and where they would have thrown the ball had they been in that quarterback's shoes. Because they know that's not what would have happened. <laughs> they know that they would have missed as many, if not more, throws because they know what it's like to stand in that pocket and look down the barrel of an NFL defense. Those guys actually know what that's like. And they know how absurd it is to pretend to know what you would do in situations that you've never been in, Mr. Twitter Game Scout. Fools. Who's a better buy low right now than DJ Moore? None. No one, right? No one. No one. No one. I asked Hassan Rahim who's a better buy low right now than Will Fuller, and he said no one, and I agreed. And then I said DJ Moore to you, and then you said no one, and I agreed. <laughs> I so we're just going to go with that. We're doing a great job with these buy lows. We're just going to go with that. No one is a better buy low right now than DJ Moore. We need to go into rapid fire. What are we doing, Peter? I know, man. We're just having this casual conversation. We need to take this seriously. We're professionals that are supposed to be in rapid fire mode. What do we do with Curtis Samuel? Everyone thought he was going to get a larger share of this offense, and it's just very unlikely when you've got someone like Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore sucking up as many targets as they had. Michael Zingoni look into the history of it, and frankly, two wide receivers with a running back, like 15% would be like really unlikely for Curtis Samuel. He's a really good player, so if people are down on him, I don't mind uh, uh, trading for that value, but he's just he's going to struggle to be a top 24 wide receiver. He just is. You trade for good players in Dynasty, and you fade good players in bad situations in seasonal leagues. So you can trade Curtis Samuel in seasonal leagues. You won't get anything back, but you should trade for Curtis Samuel. Acquire him now at a low point in Dynasty because you want to hoard wide receivers that have that Curtis Samuel profile, that run a 4-3-1, that have been successful when deployed in a part-time role in previous seasons, in preseason, and you can't hold the last five weeks against him because most of it's been without Cam Newton. And it's not like he's been putting up zeros. It's not like he's Corey Davis. Yeah, that's hard. Right? He's been productive. He's just not commanding the huge target share. But in Dynasty, anything can happen. Christian McCaffrey holds out. DJ Moore gets hurt. Greg Olson retires. Trade for Curtis Samuel. What do we do with Miles Sanders? 
It's a fair question. Look, you don't trade for running backs if you're not winning, and this running back's been stuck in a timeshare a little heavier than we might have hoped, but mm-hmm. he's going to end the season fine. He's going to look like he had a good rookie season, and he's obviously really talented, so I'm still really interested in him again, but it's all about value, man. I like the team. Hate the ADP. And by team, I mean I like the Eagles' offensive line. I like the wide running lanes. I like the overall offensive efficiency. It's just that Jordan Howard's scoring on his runs and Miles Sanders is not. That could easily flip as early as this week. Austin Eckler, what do we do? I actually just uh, thought of a better buy low than DJ Moore, and that's Nikhil Harry. In Dynasty. Right. DJ Moore is a better trade target across the board, seasonal leagues in particular. Nikhil Harry in Dynasty is a great buy low. Austin Eckler, stay focused. Sorry, bud. Yeah, um, I'd trade for him. Again, it's a matter of if you've seen the talent. You'd trade for him? Yeah. I assume his value is a lot lower than it was. He's been he, he's been valued less than what he was the first four, four or five weeks of the season. And that's because he's he's not going to be that. Oh, much less, because savvy players are trying to get out of him. They think it's smart to get out of him now. They think they're the only ones that have thought of it. Right. <laughs> right. Fantasy gamers with Eckler think they're the only ones that know that Melvin Gordon's back. Yeah, and it all depends on your team situation. But again, it's a matter of you trade for that talented player whose value drops, and you just hope he gets a role again. I was just talking to someone yesterday about Matt Breida, trying to dump Matt Breida. I said, don't do that. You do not dump Matt Breida. Matt Breida is the exact player that you want stashed on your team. It's just because you drafted him and you're frustrated by him scoring fantasy points when he's on the bench and not scoring fantasy points when he's in your lineup. You can't let that start-sit PTSD manifest in a bad trade. That's how fantasy football leagues are lost. You want players like Matt Breida with exceptional athletic profiles, all-purpose skill sets on the number one running team in the league. Those are exactly the types of players you should be trading for, not trading away. So if we're trading for Austin Eckler, what do we do with Melvin Gordon? If I'm winning, I want Melvin Gordon. I want Melvin Gordon on my team because he's going to get that rollback and he's going to be good for you this season. But Dynasty, I'd be looking to get out. Just because that's the trend with running backs, right? He's not going to be there for long. And we have no idea where he's going to end up. Could be like Le'Veon Bell ending up on the Jets. Right. Remember Le'Veon Bell, late first round pick, early second round pick in seasonal leagues? And we were like, what are you doing? How is that possible? How could Le'Veon Bell get drafted ahead of Dalvin Cook? We had Dalvin Cook six slots ahead of Le'Veon Bell, at least on our cheat sheet. Idiots, Peter. (laughs) Stephon Diggs, what do we do? Buy Stefan Diggs as well. I mean, uh, it's really easy process. If you know a player is a lot better than he's producing, you buy him. Does Corey Davis qualify? <sighs> You're just cutting me to the bone with this Corey Davis hate, man. What did I do? I was just asking a question. We're in rapid fire mode. You were just talking about how Corey Davis was bad earlier as well. Like the sec time, like I-, I love Corey Davis way too much. At what point is a bad player not bad? It's a really small sample size, so I still have hope. Is it? But first round wide receivers who don't break out. I mean, I invented the term small sample size in fantasy football, but is it a small sample size for Corey Davis at this point in 2019? No. 
The small sample size is first-round wide receivers who don't break out in the first three years. Basically, the success story after that is Kenny Britt. So there is no success story. But there are very few wide receivers that face that situation from the first round. You're talking about Devontae Parker, Josh Doxon, and these trash bags who didn't even produce in college. Well, Devontae Parker did a little, to be fair. But, yeah, I'm... It's trending down on Corey Davis, okay? It's just time for me to say it. I, I hate to tell you this, but in his final season at TCU, Josh Doxson was on pace to break the NCAA receiving yards record <laughs> before he broke his wrist. Yeah, but I don't care about that last season. I don't care what they do when they're bigger, stronger, and older than everyone on the team because that's how you end up with Josh Doxson. <laughs> I don't think Josh Doxson's trash. Most of these guys are not trash, man. They just either aren't wired in a way that allows them to succeed at the NFL level because it's a gladiator spectacle. It's a pretty impossible job, and you have to be a freak in order to succeed in that environment. And a lot of guys are just not wired in a way that allows them to obsess over the sport and their bodies and everything that is required to be great. Most guys don't have it in them. Yeah, I think trash is a little hard. Laquan Treadwell... His advocates need to take an L, right? Laquan Treadwell, not a mega producer at the college level, not athletic. There was nothing there but draft capital and residual Debbie League love is what got Laquan Treadwell drafted in the top five in rookie drafts. There are a handful of first rounders that are such clear bust candidates, but we're talking about once a year. I mean, Kevin White, Laquan Treadwell, every year a guy like that comes along. Hakeem Butler, maybe. It would have been Hakeem Butler, but I think a lot of these NFL teams listen to this podcast, Roto Underworld Radio. I think that's one of the reasons why Hakeem Bustler fell to the fourth round. Teams are getting wise to metrics like breakout age. Wait, what do we do with Corey Davis? You sell for whoever wants to arbitrage that situation. Uh, there's not a lot of hope there. And damn you for making me say it, frankly. How much would you bid on A.J. Brown if he were on waivers in your seasonal league? A.J. Brown is only owned in 25% of fantasy leagues right now. Wow. 75% of leagues, you'll find A.J. Brown on waivers in the player pool. That's bizarre. I think he has as much upside of the wide receiver position as, as anyone, right? Mariota's actually performing fairly decently this year, which is something I did kind of get right about Tennessee. Yeah, he's better than Corey Davis. He's the true alpha in that passing game. I think he outproduces Terry McLaurin the rest of the way. So if you love Terry McLaurin, then you love A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is better in every way and it has a better situation than Terry McLaurin. And I love Terry McLaurin, but I like A.J. Brown even more. I definitely like A.J. Brown more than Terry McLaurin. That's not a hard call for me. What do we do with Robbie Anderson? Wish you got out before now, maybe? What do we do with O.J. Howard? Bye. What do we do with Darren Waller? Has he hit the Waller? (laughs) <laughs> um, sell before this week, I guess, would be what I'd say. Like, I really like Darren Waller. He's probably a top five, six tight end in Dynasty. But Foster Maru uh, is not just a cool name. I think uh, mm-hmm. I think he might be something. Foster Moreau looks good. I love – I want Foster Moreau in seasonal leagues. Right? He's catching touchdowns, getting targets. Why not? He's the young up-and-coming Athletic. If you think Darren Waller's athletic, and he is, he's not as fast and bursty and agile as he showed at the combine when he weighed 225 pounds. With that weight becomes a trade-off. He's not as fast. He's not as explosive as he once was because he 
put on 30 pounds. Foster Moreau weighed 250 pounds at the Combine, where he put up 80th percentile or above workout metrics across the board, and he's incredibly handsome. And that matters. <laughs> right. And he's got a great name. I love that name. Foster Moreau. Right? Sounds like a winner. That motherfucker is sexy in <laughs> so many ways. I want him to seize that starting job, rip it away from Darren Waller. My fear is that with the acquisition of Zay Jones, with Tyrell Williams getting healthy, there'll be a return to normalcy in this Raiders passing game. They're going to have to lean on Moreau less, less 12 personnel, and they're going to reinstall Darren Waller in that two-way tight end role, and he'll be gobbling up all the tight end targets moving forward. That's the fear that this was a shooting star across the sky for Moreau, but in Dynasty, oh, he is a must-stash for future seasons. It's also important that Waller gets, like, no red zone work at all, and Foster Maru, actually, he's got, he's, like, tied for third or fourth in overall red zone work. Like, he's the guy who's getting the most valuable targets. So your number one by-low wide receiver is Nikhil Harry. Who's your number one by-low running back in Dynasty? That's a fair question, actually. I don't know I have one. Um... I sent you the show sheet. <laughs> show sheet. Um, running back is much more single year dependent, right? Yeah, you're just interested in this year with running back. I, I got a lot of. So Matt Breida then? <laughs> no, I, if you're not winning, I'd sell Matt Breida. If you're winning, you trade for Matt Breida. Like that's the way I go with running back. I think about it as uh, just a single season proposition, if you know what I mean. Darius Geis? I don't know, man. Is Darius Geis good? I'm starting to forget. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Kerryon Johnson? Um, if you can get Kerryon Johnson low, then yeah, you definitely do that. If I'm trying to win, Kerryon Johnson's probably at the top of the list for the running backs I'm trying to get. Him or Derek Henry? There we go. There we go. Yeah, Kerryon Johnson. He's been the workhorse in Detroit for the last two games since they released C.J. Anderson. Since they released C.J. Anderson. That's what's up. <laughs> Kerryon Johnson's what's up. He is the best under the radar, bell cow back in the NFL. See how I sort of takeified what you did? Yeah, I liked it. Hot takeified it. Appreciate it. Is it time to worry about the Browns? Yeah, it's definitely time to worry about the Browns, but I would buy falling value because everyone on that team is good. I don't know what's going on, but everyone on that team has already pretty much proven good from Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, even David Njoku was really showing something early in the season here. So, again, buy talented players with falling value. Who's a better fantasy quarterback? Is it Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen? I, I, I'm never going to say Josh Allen is better than Baker Mayfield. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Trick question, correct! <laughs> better fantasy running back. You ready for this one? Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry? Oh, Nick Chubb, easily. I don't think that's easily, and I think you're wrong. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you why. It's the reason I gave you in preseason. Roger Saffold. The return of Taylor Lewin. The signing of Roger Saffold. This Tennessee Titans offensive line is finally become a top five run blocking unit that was promised to us two years ago. But it's been derailed with injuries and underperformance. But finally, this season, 
We've seen the offensive line coalesce. And if he's going to get wide running lanes, he's going to give you 100 yards every game. And that's what he's doing. And Nick Chubb, on the other hand, has the worst run blocking in the league. If Nick Chubb's not going to be getting five targets a game, and he's going to be asked to score most of his fantasy points in the running game, not the passing game, you need an above-average offensive line to be a top-10 fantasy back. Derrick Henry's going to get there easily because he has the size and the explosiveness, the 116.3 97th percentile burst score at 247 pounds. He's actually, in many ways, a more impressive physical specimen than Saquon Barkley. And we shouldn't be surprised when he crushes the Denver Broncos who are giving up 6.68 fantasy points above the mean to opposing running backs. It's one of the softest run defenses in the league. Derrick Henry has 387 rushing yards already on the season. That's number seven in the NFL. He's in the top five in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Why not? And, and in the carries that he's received, he hasn't even received, he hasn't even enjoyed great run blocking. Like the run blocking still, the run blocking thus far in the small sample hasn't been good. The reason Derrick Henry has 387 rushing yards is not attributed to the offensive line. It's the 191 yards created, top five in the NFL. But I believe this offensive line is good. I believe that the schedule is softening up. The offensive line's getting better. And when you add the yards created to that cocktail, I just don't see how Nick Chubb can compete. Nick Chubb's really good. The running back is an interdependent position. As good as Nick Chubb is, and I believe he's one of the best running backs in the league, if he's trapped behind the worst run-blocking unit in the NFL, he's doomed to fail. He's doomed to underperform. That's just the way it is, man. Yeah. You know it. You know it in your heart. You know I'm right. In your heart, you know I'm right. I want Nick Chubb. (laughs) In your heart... Who's a better fantasy receiver, Odell Beckham or Allen Robinson? Odell Beckham. Because these are both top talents from that 2014 draft class. Allen Robinson is rising without a quarterback. Odell Beckham is falling with a quarterback. You still believe in Odell Beckham? Yeah, definitely. And I love Allen Robinson. He's he's fantastic. He was a great buy low this offseason. But uh, Odell Beckham's just better one for one. We'll see. We'll see. My problem with Odell Beckham, is he's competing for targets with Jarvis Landry, who is making his claim for alpha receiver status in that passing game. There's no one competing for targets with Allen Robinson. He owns that passing game. Oh, yeah, Allen Robinson's going to produce more. Better fantasy tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones or Jeremy Sprinkle? Um, Yeah, I, I'm just going to go with Ricky Seals-Jones there. <laughs> I'm going to go with neither. Yeah, ne- is neither an option? I had Jeremy Sprinkle as a top sleeper streamer this week but then i realized he only ran seven routes meanwhile matt lacoste he ran over 30 routes with a 98 percent snap share so matt lacoste is my streamer du jour at the tight end position this week sorry jeremy sprinkle i love your name i love guys named pringle and sprinkle I love to sprinkle the pringles i love to anyway who does gardner Minshew remind you of god i know the guy from napoleon dynamite i guess who does DJ Chark remind you of? Robbie Anderson. Ro- really? Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen to DJ Chark, but I'm very much on a hill. No, really? 
eventually we're going to be asking what happened where did dj chart go and jj zacharyson is going to be uh complaining that he wasn't at his retirement party on the field and it's going to go that way but i got a lot wrong and dj chark's doing really well so you don't believe in dj chark no but again that's that's where i hold on to my rookie profile for way too long i just think he was underproductive in college and right now he's in a great situation and there's some chemistry happen that won't hold but I give DJ Chark a lot of credit for what we're seeing from Gardner Minshew. I think that that is a symbiotic relationship. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just saying, oh, you found yourself in a great situation with Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a rookie sixth rounder. He's putting up over 150 yards and two touchdowns tethered to a rookie sixth rounder. That's a goddamn miracle. I think he's going to be more like Cortland Sutton. I think these two will have parallel career arcs. So take that. What do you think of Will Disley? Who does he remind you of? Someone who hates the libs? I don't know. He's got a great profile pick on Roto Underworld. There's there's a great deal of smugness to it. Um, but I, I don't know who he reminds me of, but right now he reminds me of a top 12 tight end. I have one. How about this one? You ready for this one? Heath Miller. Heath Miller had consecutive tight end one seasons tethered to Ben Roethlisberger. He wasn't an impressive athlete, but... He was in the right place at the right time, especially in the red zone for many years. That's my, who does he remind me of for Will Disley? You like that one? I do, and I don't. Like, Hilth Miller's top 12 seasons or whatever, they were unremarkable. They weren't very useful. Will Disley's season is going to be very useful. So I see your point, but I think Will Disley's going to actually be providing better value to a fantasy team. We disagree again. Where I am on Will Disley is similar to where you were on DJ Chark. Right. Yeah, I can see that. We're disagreeing all over the place. This is great. <laughs> a raging argument. So who's the number one receiver in Miami? Uh, Preston Williams. Not Albert Wilson? No. Preston Williams. So we should believe in Preston Williams? No, because he's on Miami. <laughs> he's one of the best bylows in Dynasty? Is that what I'm hearing? <sighs> yeah, kind of. I mean, it's what you were saying about Josh Doxon and Devontae Parker. They're in difficult situations and we judge them too harshly. But Preston Williams has been thrown into that exact same terrible situation. He's earned 23% of the team's targets. He's earned 62% of the team's red zone touches. He's just doing better than a player that was drafted higher thrust into the exact same terrible situation. Yeah, the beauty is he's on the same team as Devontae Parker. And we get to see his production profile versus Devontae Parker, and you get to see what a real wide receiver can do, even in a terrible situation. But it's not that terrible. Wide receivers on tanking teams are better off than wide receivers on run-first teams. At least your team's always losing and you're producing more in garbage time with negative game script. That's what you want as a wide receiver. So don't complain, Preston Williams. I don't think he is complaining. I'm sure Devontae Parker is complaining about something. But I like both Albert Wilson and Preston Williams equally moving forward. I think they're going to be the one-two, the A-B receivers, flip-flopping every week, just depending on which cornerbacks they're matching up against. But I like them both closing out the season with more fantasy-relevant weeks than anyone expects. Are you excited for this Dwayne Haskins era in Washington? <laughs> uh, is excitement the word? Is he going to start, though? Because I'm still unsure. But uh, I'm ready to see what he's got. I'm definitely ready to see it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I think that he's a savant quarterback. I think he's going to be great. And I'm ready to be big wrong. Right. So we've talked a lot of Dynasty. You have a podcast, the Dynasty Crossroads. How do people find that? 
we're on all the platforms, man. iTunes, Stitcher. Just type in Dynasty Crossroads or Dino Crossroads on Twitter, and you'll find us anywhere, man. So who do you qualify for truth or status on? Outside of Corey Davis. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the funny thing is Corey Davis enthusiasts now are truthers. You know, I object to the overuse of the truther label, of the truther labeling system, because I think it's a precious description. And it should be used carefully, not on good players, not on rookie players. But at this point, Corey Davis qualifies as neither. And if you love him, you are a Corey Davis truther. Go further. Who else? Giovanni Bernard. He's just always someone I like. Giovanni Bernard! I just really like him. What do you like about Giovanni Bernard? He's a really good player, okay? <laughs> I hate to go on numbers, but every time he gets touches, he's incredible with them. He's looked better than every running back when they're side-by-side. Side. Maybe not Joe Mixon, but he looks as good between the tackles and in the receiving game. He's a phenomenal receiver. He's just a phenomenal receiver to watch, at least. It's not very numbers-driven, but I just always like the player. Um, and, yeah, I think that's the definition of trutherism, right? I don't have great reasons. I don't have great hope for the future. But... I really like that player. <laughs> Give me a bold prediction to close out the season. Oh, man. It's <laughs> December 31st. We're looking back, and we just can't believe what happened. What is that thing? I don't do bold projections. I, I, I do projections of what's actually going to happen. I know. You're great at it. <laughs> Thank you. Colin Sutton will finish as a top 12 wide receiver. Hey. Is that bold? Oh, the prototypical X receiver. Oh, the return. Of the outside bully receiver with an elite catch radius. DJ Char, Cortland Sutton, please be successful. We need you, boys. Emmanuel Sanders is back healthy and really good. And Cortland Sutton's winning out over him. I think that's overlooked. It's a great point. I intentionally drafted David Johnson, 101 overall, which I shouldn't have. Wait, 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 wait what? You, you, you took David Johnson over Christian McCaffrey? In the Scott Fishball? You know, it's a public league.